Welcome back to Growing Places, a podcast about all things economic development here in the Sioux Falls metro area, brought to you by the Sioux Metro Growth Alliance. Hello and welcome back to the Growing Places podcast. I'm one of your hosts today, Molly Stevens. The other host is Ryan Solberg, one of our economic development specialists here who works with the city of Baltic. Our goal of the Growing Places podcast has always been to tell the stories of the people and businesses in the Sioux Metro. So today we have Zach Nebin joining us from Baltic, South Dakota. Welcome to the podcast, Zach. Hey, happy to be here. So do you want to quick introduce yourself, um, say how long you've been in Baltic, how you're involved in the community? Sure. I'm from the area. I grew up on a uh, farm outside of Coleman originally. Uh, went to college up in uh, Brookings, uh, moved to Sioux Falls for a little while. Uh, my wife and I were looking to get out of town again and back to something more uh, more local, more more friendly, some place we could really get involved with, and Baltic popped up on our radar, and here we are. Yeah, let, talk about some of the organizations that you're involved with, yeah. Zach, because Zach um, is, is one of my many bosses, but he's one of the bigger bosses, so that's why he's on the podcast. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, let's see... Um, I started uh, getting involved with the PTO. I'm just a member with that organization. Um, I coach youth softball for my daughter's team. Uh, head coach this year, so that'll be that'll be fun. Volunteer around town with a lot of stuff, helping out at the community garden, things like that. I'm also president of the Baltic Area Development Foundation. Awesome, and we'll be digging into stuff with the Baltic Area Development Foundation later in the episode. But why we really wanted to have you on is is to talk about your unique business. So. Um, why don't you tell us a brief history or tell us a little bit more about um, your business, exclusive to Baltic, a homegrown business, super cool, nuts and stuff. <laughs> so this was a, a kind of a, there's a little bit of serendipity that involved with uh, bringing this to fruition, I guess. We, we moved to town, we lived in a spot that had a nice uh, serene backyard to it and a little bit of luck, a little bit of right place, right time. Uh, it ended up, we ended up purchasing the eight and a half acres that has uh, about 900 road black walnut trees that are about 22, 23 years old now. I've had small businesses before in the past. My wife and I like to do a lot of, lot of random things. She likes flipping furniture, uh, canning, uh, making jams and jellies. Uh, I do anything from landscaping to building um, ridiculously oversized swing sets. And so Nuts and Stuff kind of started as a uh, let's have a taxable business to make sure that everything we're doing is on the up and up and uh, you know paying our fair share, that type of thing. So, so it, it sounds a little bit like you guys have like a little house in the prairie vibe going there with the <laughs> business, right? Like you got the canning going, you're making your own furniture, you're making your own playground equipment. Um, could you tell us a little bit about, I guess, maybe the history of black walnut trees, right? Why, I mean, I don't know if you know why the walnut trees are there in the first place, but <laughs> what makes, what makes black walnut trees unique or special or, or, or something that that's desirable for people to purchase? I'm going to start with don't ask questions you're not prepared for the answer for. Um, <laughs> at this point, I think I could do a good hour, hour and a half off the cuff on black walnuts. So uh, black walnut trees traditionally in bulk grow um, in the, the, the true Midwest. When I say the true Midwest, we're more on the plains, obviously. Uh, the true Midwest being like Missouri up to like Illinois. And there was a longstanding tradition of you know how people go truffle hunting or things like that. In that area, the Sunday activity for a long time was go to church, do whatever with the family, and then go out and pick black walnuts from 
from trees growing around. They would then take them, process them. You know, they're, they're great for baking is, is their primary edible use. Uh, but I can tell you black walnuts are about the messiest thing on the planet to, to process. And they're a son of a gun. They have one of the hardest shells of any, any nut. So it kind of fell out of style. It's a lot of work to, to process them. But people still liked the tradition of going out and picking them. Uh, there's a very large company that uh, handles, I think, 80-85% of the country's black walnut uh, production and sales, and, but they don't own a single black walnut tree. Their whole business is they collect them, right? So it's like I said, this tradition of collecting black walnuts still comes up. You remember the, uh, maybe you don't, before everyone had recycling programs, you used to have aluminum can drop-offs. You'd, you'd go to like the Kmart parking lot and you'd throw your bags of aluminum cans and they'd weigh them and they'd pay you out for the aluminum. Oh yeah, we had that when I was a really little kid. Yeah. This is what they do with black walnuts. They have like 200 or 250 drop-off locations around the country. And you, you know, you'd park them by a bunch of trees and the people come out and pick them and they dump them in the hopper and they get paid for for their work and that's how that company procures all of their all of their harvest this amount of black walnut trees is out of that typical range i always joke people say oh i have a black walnut tree it's a pain in the butt well i look at it as if you have one or two black walnut trees you have a mess in your yard if you have 900 of them you have a business opportunity right the, the original reason these trees were planted was, um, the story I was told was there was a man that wanted to put an investment in the ground for his kids. Uh, he was going to plant these and grow them for lumber. He might have been better off hoping for the best for his grandkids or great-grandkids because it takes somewhere around 80 to 90 years to get peak harvestable size from a black walnut tree. Um, I think around year three or four, he decided that he was going to move on and leave the trees to his kids, who, jokes on him, didn't want anything to do with it. So, not in the timber business. No. So the, the land went up for sale. Um, someone else in the neighborhood bought it. And then 20 years later, it ended up in our hands. So What's amazing is the idea that like, there's no timber industry in South Dakota, except in the Black Hills, but like this side of the state. Yeah. Like the idea was, we're going to have a timber business out of the backyard. <laughs> It's interesting. Yeah, and and black walnut, it's extremely hard. It's a it's a hardwood, and but it's beautiful. It's got this black core to it. Uh, one of the things we do is we have, we don't plan on felling any of these trees. I guess well, one, they're nowhere near where they would need to be to be harvestable. But uh, two, they're just why well, cut them down? You know, we like the nuts coming off of them. So, mm-hmm. uh, but any branches that have dropped that have been the right size, we've uh, turned into coasters. And they're really pretty. Like I said, they've got that beautiful black core to them. And that's one of our best sellers is four packs of coasters. So uh, who are your customers typically? Who Who's buying black walnuts around Baltic, South Dakota? <laughs> so, again, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of people um, maybe in a little older demographic that really like black walnuts. Uh, I have a theory. They're really strong flavor. So... I say if you want texture in your food, uh, go with English walnuts. They're, they're much cheaper, um, one, because they're easier to process and more plentiful. If you want flavor, go with black walnuts because a little dab will do you. But I think it, they were a very common uh, recipe ingredient for baked goods for, for that generation. Yeah, so what kind of products does nuts and stuff offer? You mentioned coasters. 
some canning. Yeah, so uh, jams and jellies, uh, pickles. Uh, one of my wife's favorite things, they're dilly beans. They're basically pickled pickled uh, green beans that go great in, you know, people have olive beers, but they go great just in a beer. Or uh, awesome Bloody Mary. Um, Bloody Mary, what would you call it? Decor, I guess. I've seen some. It's like, it's like the, uh, what am I, garnish. garnish. Garnish, thank you. Yeah. Yes, it's a great Bloody Mary garnish. Move over, celery. <laughs> pickled green beans now. <laughs> so, uh, pickled jalapenos, those are my favorite. So, yeah, sandwiches. You guys also do like the, you guys do like the furniture, or a yeah. little bit of furniture flipping, like a little bit of, I remember, so uh, when I was doing like business visits with you and I was like, let's talk about nuts and stuff. And it was like, there were like 20 different products. It's like, it's everything. So, so where do you guys like end up selling most of these products? Uh, like how do, how do your customers typically get in touch with you or how do they find you? So we do a lot of the, the craft show circuits. Um, we've, we've come become starting to become a bit of a staple at some of the, some of the, the Sioux Metro area. So I'll tell you what's kind of funny you know, you say we have like 20 products, but it always depends on, on what, uh, what time of year you catch us or what phase you catch us. And I always think of like, you ever been to Aldi and they have the Aldi finds aisle where it's like this week, here's a cat bed and next week, here's a Bowflex, right? Like just random <laughs> stuff that ends up. That's kind of how I feel like we operate in this stuff. You know, one week my, my wife will have found some really cool um, piece of decor to make and we'll do a run of 20 of those. And when they sell all of a sudden um, I've, found out like what what the next uh, big yard game is and I'll make a run of those and sell those so it's always like I, I come back to the, the the jellies and jams and all that stuff because those are the staples that you're always gonna find us selling anything else is whatever whatever kind of caught our eye that month if there's anything that you like you know I my wife and I are both very handy people I always have this uh, vision of or this this mantra of the internet has the world's knowledge right there and I almost love to find something that I don't know how to do and just look it up and do it just to be like okay now that's in the repository of things we can do so so how has business been going and kind of what's next steps for nuts and stuff yeah so this this business is is not our day job. My my wife's a nurse. Uh, I I'm a business analyst and a product owner with Wells Fargo. Um, really, it's kind of kind of a hobby business for us. Um, in a perfect world, we find that one really cool item and we sell gangbusters. And I don't have to uh, have a day job anymore. If I could make this my day job, that would be the dream. But uh, for now, it's it's still kind of that hobby approach. Um, you can always find us online, but uh, doing the doing the the craft the craft fair circuit is kind of our, our staple. So I guess for now it's um, keep occupying what little spare time we have and just keep having fun with it. And hopefully, hopefully something cool just happens to grow out of it. Very cool. Well, speaking of very little spare time, I think we want to talk about your your most important spare time job, um, which is which is telling me what to do. Um, so so we have a few questions about, about Baltic and about economic development Baltic. And uh, Molly, I'll, I'll, let you, I'll let you tee up the first question here. Happy Master's Week, by the way, everybody. You kind of mentioned what drew you to Baltic, kind of that small town feel. Why do you think economic development is important for a small town like Baltic? Honestly, I'll tell anyone this. You can look around, um, and people people have asked me, why, why do you want this place to grow? We, you know, there, there are some people that maybe rightfully so, say, we like what we have. It's, 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 why can't it stay this way? I look around, you can point at any small town in South Dakota, and you can see you're either growing or shrinking. 
um, especially this close to the, the uh, you know, the 800-pound gorilla in the room that is Sioux Falls in its expansion, you can't just expect to sit there and, and do nothing. Um, you got to be prepared for that. You got to lay the foundations for for the future on this. And I think it's very important to embrace the opportunities uh, that come with uh, a town like Baltic and the location of the town, the proximity to the cities around it. Just get out ahead of the train and make sure that that track's going where you want it to. Yeah, absolutely. So you are president of the Baltic Area Development Foundation. How are things going with that? How did you get involved with that? And what sorts of businesses and industries do you think would be good additions to Baltic? Uh, I might be biased, but I think the foundation is off to an excellent start. Uh, when we started, uh, we we were sitting in a room, kind of talking about, you know, what does this group do? What's 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 the point? What what do you expect? And we were told, you know, things in this venue move slowly. It might take a year. It might take two years. It might take five years to see, you know, real measurable feedback. And honestly, I'm already at a point going. <laughs> the stuff we have going on already, um, I think, is going to be huge, great changes uh, for Baltic, uh, way faster than than I would have than I would have ever believed when we started. So, uh, as far as businesses for the community, healthcare is always big. Light manufacturing comes up a lot. You know, something to get uh, get get a daytime pop. Anything that could get a good daytime population in town to keep the uh, the local businesses thriving. Um, we got just, I got to put a plug in for Someday Cafe. They are just to die for. The hot beef on Fridays. Is, oh, man. <laughs> it's, uh, it'll like double your sodium intake for the day. But when it's like 20 degrees and snowing, oh, it hits the spot. It's perfect. Absolutely. Um, Classic Corn at the gas station, they do, they do so much for the town. They're, they're, they're great. Um, and I'd love to see any business that just kind of keeps, I think the whole thing snowballs, you know, it's. They're going to keep feeding off of each other, and it's, it's going to be just this positive feedback loop. So so you guys both know Baltic better than I do. How much of the population commutes into Sioux Falls or somewhere else? Oh, man. You know, I knew this number off the top of my head at one point. Probably about two-thirds, I'd want to say, if not more, because there's not as much of a employment base within the community. Um, I would guess probably close to two-thirds, if not more. Yeah, very very bedroom community. Um, yeah, one of my one of my goals at one point was to get on the uh, volunteer fire department uh, specifically because <laughs> very few people are in town. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to uh, have a remote career for four or five years now, hundred percent. And uh, one of the one of the people that is in town says I have to go to almost every single call in the, during the daytime because nobody else is here. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, geez, the least I can, if I'm here already, the least I can do is try to be around for that. So hopefully sometime soon we'll be, we'll be adding that to my list of stuff as well. <laughs> I think one thing um, when I've gone out and do done business visits or I've talked with residents, um, one thing that I notice is a lot of folks want more of those like small business, I would almost call them amenity or quality of life type businesses, which are like, your clinic or, you know, the neighborhood bar and grill, coffee um, shop, coffee shop <laughs> unique boutiques. Um, but I think you kind of have to walk before you run. Um, and, and really those sorts of retail and dining establishments, they're chasing um, rooftops and tailpipes. And if two thirds of your community is being exported every day, it's really hard for some of those businesses to stay open. So finding some um, employers that can be uh, in town or close to town, I think is really important for supporting some of those small businesses in the future. 
But I think I got to credit uh, the folks on the BADF board. Um, when I showed up, they had like tons of energy and tons of ideas for, for businesses that I frankly wouldn't have thought of. Um, I remember once we were sitting there and we were just kind of throwing around ideas and someone brought up like pool cleaning, which is not something you typically think of in economic development. Like we, you know what we need? We need pool cleaning. But I think, was it you, Zach, or was yeah. it someone else? And they were like, well, I went and looked at GIS and I noticed like, I can't remember how many backyard pools it was in Baltic and Baltic doesn't have a community pool, but it, there's a lot of like backyard pools. So like, why not? have a service like that you know it has it creates a couple jobs a little bit of sales tax revenue a little bit of property tax revenue but you know it's something that i think it would be a, a positive um a positive development for the community so if you're listening to this and you clean pools <laughs> give us a call we want you in baltic absolutely uh you know as far as other small businesses you know i know unless my dream of dreams comes true and and nuts and stuff becomes you know, this huge operation, we're never going to be the tax bed of Baltic, but I think businesses like ours provide the flavor for town. You know, it's 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 fun to see your friends and neighbors be passionate about things and help support them. I guess kind of going in on why businesses, why we had Zach on to talk about nuts and stuff and why are those sorts of small businesses, even if they're not, you know, full time, if they don't have like a huge operation, if they're not a huge part of the tax base, why are they so important? And I'll kind of like go back to what I mentioned about like the little house in the prairie thing. Um, and it, right. It is that like small town flavor that certain like self-reliance and those, those old crafts and skills that, um, have kind of, I wouldn't say they withered away, but they're not nearly as commonplace. And they add to like the, the small town atmosphere and vibe when people, um, take on these sorts of projects. And I think you find that in, in some of these small towns where, um, you know, you don't always have in, in being in the Sioux Metro, we're blessed because you can drive 15 minutes and find something, but in many cases, still, if you don't want to make that drive, you kind of have to be resourceful in how you get some of your products and services. And so I've met folks in a couple of the communities that I've served, including Baltic, where, you know, it's not their main business, but like they're doing their own like herbal blended teas or their own powder coating or um, they're doing black walnut trees. And it's it's something that's like really cool that hopefully if you can even capture just a, if, even if only one percent of these small businesses turn into like a huge business right that's a huge boost for the community but even if they don't it's something unique about your town that you can attract more residents and business with it's something so cool in that small town local flavor that you just can't find anywhere else yeah and i can imagine that the support from fellow baltic residents is fairly strong would you oh absolutely you phenomenal um you're cleaning up the black walnut mess. They probably love it. Oh, yeah. No, the uh, I laugh. You know, my wife's always in the driveway sanding furniture or something. And people are, oh, what you working on today? You know, type of stuff. But uh, the the single greatest uh, event we ever attended was the Baltic Dog Days. They're, you know, that was the uh, the big huzzah in town last year. And they absolutely cleaned us out. We, we went home empty-handed. And uh, that's been great because that got all of our stuff out in the community and we get repeat customers. We got people calling and saying, Hey, uh, you got any more uh, grape jelly on hand? And no, but I guess, you know, I got next Tuesday afternoon off. I guess we're making grape jelly. So we'll let you know when it's ready. And so just super supportive, super fun to interact with everyone in town. So Zach, where can, where can someone get in contact with nuts and stuff? Where can someone find nuts and stuff? 
Well, we can always be reached by phone at 605-201-8050 if you have any specific questions or uh, want to talk about custom uh, furniture refinishings. Otherwise, we're on uh, Facebook and Instagram at Nebens Nuts and Stuff, or you can just search for Nuts and Stuff and it will pop up. Thank you, Zach, for coming on the podcast today. We really appreciate it. Best of luck with Nuts and Stuff, and I can't wait to try some of that jelly. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. So happy to be here. Thanks for listening to Growing Places. Follow us on social media at Sue Metro. Tune in next time to the next episode of Growing Places. And always leave things better than the way you found them.